0: God, thank you. We, um, I'm already inspired. I feel like we could just wrap it up and go home, Lord. Because we are here to worship you. That's why we're here, God. There is no other reason but to bring ourselves to you today and to offer ourselves to you 100% in this life and in the life to come. Thank you that we could be here today and celebrate And now may we listen, may we learn, Holy Spirit, this is not my service, this is not the band's, it's not the church's service, it is your service, Holy Spirit. So you be here, you fall on us, so that we might know what we need to know today from this message. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I am fascinated, I might even have to admit addicted, to movies and television. Anyone with me? See, I grew up in this house that when you got up in the morning, television was on. And when you came home and you went to bed at night, guess what? Television was on. Oh, and we had our family meals together around the coffee table watching something on the television. There was absolutely no escape from television. But I still am fascinated by the escape of the internet offerings for television and movies. So I'll do what a lot of people do. I will binge watch the populars. So Parks and Rec. And I sit and I watch seven seasons of that at some point. But I'm drawn to and tend to find these more obscure shows, ones that Perhaps no one has even seen, and I love to watch those. So I found one recently. It was called Glitch. Glitch. Here's the plot summary. James Hayes is a small-town policeman. Uh, He is called to the local cemetery in the middle of the night after six people have inexplicably risen from the dead, and they are all in perfect health. With no memory of their identities, they are determined to discover who they are and what has happened to them. So some of these people have been dead for just a year, some for over a hundred years. And so the search begins for someone who knows the truth about how and why they've returned. Spoiler alert, one of the people that rose up was the small town policeman's wife who died a year earlier, but he's already remarried. Ooh, that's going to get complicated. (laughs) Unfortunately, there was only one season, so I have no idea how this is going to turn out. (laughs) Coming back from the dead or resurrection, it's a common theme in movies. From the totally secular, like the original Night of the Living Dead in 1968, and even to the current Mummy series that's playing right now. Although I noticed... I found this little thing. The original was in 1932 with Boris Karloff. That was the original mummy. But then there's the obviously religious movies, such as The Passion of the Christ in 2004 and Risen in 2016. But there are so, so, so many more movies that are fascinated. So why is it? Why is this idea, this theme of resurrection so fascinating? I think it's because death and the unknown is feared by everyone. Everyone's a little fearful of what that is, and yet this idea of coming back to life, I don't know, maybe it offers us a second chance, a chance to redo, make up, get something right this time that it didn't happen the first round. So they become these fascinating movies that we have all around us. Well, this summer, our message series is called Creed, a foundation for hope, and we're using the Apostles' Creed as a guide to help us study the Bible. Today's section of the creed simply says we believe in the resurrection of the body. So today I want to talk about you about the most fascinating resurrection of all. That's the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and why you need to believe in this with all your heart. I'm going to read starting from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to, every major point I have is going to come back to this particular chapter. So 1 Corinthians 15, in my Bible, you know, it's it's called the resurrection of the dead. So it kind of makes sense this would be where we would go from. I'm going to start with verses 3 and 4. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried... And he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. So the Apostle Paul, who's the writer of our Corinthian books in the Bible, uh, has a lot to say throughout scripture about a whole bunch of things. Like he's the big guy. He is setting the tone in the early days of what to know, what to believe, what to do. And here he tells us this. This is the most important. What is the most important? Well, John last week spoke about Jesus' death. Crucial. But now uh, the Apostle Paul says the resurrection, the rising up of Jesus from the dead, is the most important thing to know and to talk about in terms of our faith. So, why is it? And I'd like to give you four reasons today why I think this might be. Because of the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension into heaven, our faith is verified. Okay, this is when you, you rattle some papers and you get out these little message notes. You can doodle on them, color in uh, things, or you could actually just fill in the words to be used and thought for later. So the first one is, our faith is verified. Now, I have some supporting evidence for this, and it's all two words. That's just the way my mind works. So the first one, fill this in also. Doubts dispelled. Doubts dispelled. Have you ever had doubts about your faith? I sure have. I mean, there are those days when... When you just wonder, is all this God and Jesus stuff real? Like, you just, you, it just comes into your, your mind, right? Your life? Like, I'm still living. I'm living for the Lord. But I have these doubts. Like, is this all really real? It's pretty crazy. But whenever I do, I have a go-to. I have a go-to that reminds me that it's real. And I go back and I look at the historical accounts of Jesus' death and his resurrection, the historical accounts of Jesus. Historians tell us this. Jesus was a real person. Okay, we got that. He's real. We got it. But also, he died on a cross. We know historically, he was crucified by the order of the Roman prefect Pontius Pilate. Jesus was a person, and then he died. And historians will tell us that he rose from the dead, that Jesus was resurrected. This is a quote from Josephus. He's a first-century Jewish historian. So he's not a person who would necessarily support or endorse Jesus rising from the dead. And he said this. He said, about this time, there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man. For he wrought surprising feats. He was the Christ. When Pilate condemned him to be crucified, those who had come to love him... Did not give up their affection for him. Isn't that a beautiful line? He goes on to say, On the third day, he appeared restored to life, and the tribe of Christians has not disappeared. Amen? The tribe of Christians has not disappeared. So our doubts can be dispelled. But our faith is also verified by our scriptures confirmed. You can fill that one in. Scriptures confirmed. It's no coincidence. That Paul, in the Corinthian passage I read, he repeats twice this little phrase, just as the scriptures said. He does that to remind us. He does that to tell us that there's history. There's something behind this. I'm not making this stuff up. It's just as the scriptures said. And he's referring to, in part, prophecy. There's so many prophecies in the Old Testament that speak of Jesus' death. Uh, Isaiah 56, Daniel chapter 9. But there's many others that tell of Jesus' death. Resurrection. Like Psalm 16:10, which says, For you will not leave my soul among the dead, or allow your holy one to rot in the grave. So when you hear this kind of thing, When you see these passages, you have a choice to make. You see, you can either say, I believe in the scripture, and you believe in all of it. You take it all, and you say, this, I believe in this. Or you can look and you say, I don't believe in this. I don't buy what this. You do not get to pick and choose. You do not get to go, you know, this one sounds good, and it's comfy, I'll do that one. But this one here, yeah, not buying it. You don't get to do that. So when you believe in the historicity of Jesus, when you believe that he was a man and that he walked on the earth and that he died, and historians who weren't believers in that sense say he rose from the dead, when we can believe that, then we can believe all of what the Bible has to share with us. So our scriptures can be confirmed by what is in here. Wow. A third reason our faith is verified by Jesus' death and resurrection is by lives changed. Lives change. This one's, this one's kind of obvious in some ways, but after Jesus is arrested, his disciples desert him. They go off and they go into hiding so they won't be identified with him. They remain behind locked doors during the crucifixion for fear of the Jews. I'm so glad the story did not end there. They remain scared and behind these closed doors. But after Jesus' ascension into heaven, the disciples go from puzzled to powerful, from jittery to joyful. Listen to Luke 24, 50 to 53. I've got to get to that right one. It says this, then Jesus led them to Bethany, this is with some of the disciples, and lifting his hands to heaven, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. You know, it's funny how you can read scripture, and I'm sure I've read this numerous times. But when I'm studying and preparing for this, I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. I've got to stop and picture this. They're walking along. They're talking. They're hanging out. Jesus blesses them, and then he's gone. He ascends into heaven. And it says, so they, the disciples, worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem filled with great joy, and they spent all of their time in the temple praising God. They did not spend all of their time after that in hiding for fear of anything. They spent all of their time publicly in the temple praising God. Their lives were changed. Acts 4.33 drives home this point. It says this, The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing Was upon them. Their lives were changed from resurrection moment on. The apostles became powerful world changers. And lives like mine and like yours have been changed because of the good news of Jesus' resurrection ever since. Doubts dispelled, scriptures confirmed, and lives changed. Those all help us verify our faith. But a second reason Jesus' death and resurrection is, as the Apostle Paul said, the most important of all things to talk about in terms of faith is that heaven is assured. 1 Corinthians 15, 52, and this is the second part of the verse. It says, For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. The dead will be raised imperishable. Because of Jesus' resurrection, we know we also will be raised to a new life in heaven. So many of you know, since I speak here occasionally, I love missions trips. I love being able to travel and do things for God around the world. And I do that generally with students from William Jessup University, where I've been for 18 years. Crazy. I came up from the Bay Area with the college and have been with them ever since. And so this last summer, I got to go in early May, middle May, to India, to India. For two weeks, to the city of Mumbai, a city of over 20 million people. So there should be a picture. Here's our team. Uh, we actually had to dress appropriately. For the guys, yeah, this would be appropriate. Anything anyway, with long pants would be appropriate. The girls wore kurtas every day, everywhere we went to be able to fit in and, and not, not stand out in an, an awkward American way, in a sense. And so when we spent, when we were there, we we do what everyone does. We saw some of the sites of India. This is called the gateway to India. It's where people used to come into the port in their ships. And this is how they would enter into the southern port of India. So we got to go down there. Ate lots of food with lots and lots and lots of curry. Uh, This is in a home I was invited into. And I had no idea. Somebody asked me earlier, what's that slide we're eating? I go, I have no idea. But when I go to countries, I just eat. God protects the stomach and I'm good. We rode on lots of little tiny rickshaws every day. I mean, all over the city we were on those. But I also got to go on the famous CST train. Some of you are probably familiar with that. Um, This is where you'll see videos of this train coming in, and people are diving into it, and they're pushing, and they're shoving, and the people are jumping off. It's absolutely crazy. This train station alone serves 8 million people. One train station, 8 million people a day. So the first time I was on it, I didn't know where to buy a ticket, didn't know where I was going, didn't know how to get there. And I met this man who was of the Sikh faith, and we had an amazing conversation as he helped us find our way and buy our tickets and get from one stop to the next where we needed to go. I hope this works. I even got to jump into a couple street cricket games. Let's see. (laughs) Everywhere we went, if there was a little game, I'd just go, me, me? And sure, they hand me the bat. And, and, and I never played on a field. I played on a sidewalk, played in a street, wherever you could, you just jump into a game. But here's the thing. The goal of our trip wasn't to ride trains and eat food and play cricket. The goal of our trip was street evangelism. Cold turkey, walk out into people, 20 million people, and start a conversation about Jesus. Man, one of the most challenging things even for an extrovert that I've ever done. <laughs> we would start, uh, but no matter what we did. So here's a picture of kids in the park. And you can just see we, everywhere we went, people would notice us and they would come up to us. And we would, we would start these conversations. But our team would start our day in our apartment, we'd be enjoying breakfast, devotions, and we'd pray together before we'd leave. The weather every day we we're there was about 100 degrees with about 100% humidity. So you literally just drip from the moment you step outside till the moment you come back in. But what we would do is we would wander through the streets, and when necessary, the air-conditioned food courts at the malls, and we would just find people. And we would approach them, and we'd begin to have a conversation. And that was not hard. Here's a picture of one of the streets we were on. You can see that finding people was not difficult. (laughs) We dealt mostly with Muslims and Hindus. Now, I did some research into their religions before I left, but I felt really, really inadequate when I'm sitting face-to-face trying to have a conversation about faith with them. And I'll admit even now my ignorance still on the basics of these religions But I needed a hook. I needed a catch. I needed something that I could say that would move this conversation where I'm trying to get to with you to tell you what happened. And so I discovered this fascinating concept in Hinduism called moksha, moksha. And one website explained moksha this way. It's the idea of reincarnation or rebirth, which is what they call it. And that's what they believe in, right? So it says moksha. It says death is therefore not a great calamity, not an end of all which I, I, I could say that as a believer, it's, it's not the end of all, right? It says, but a natural process in the existence of a being as a separate entity. Now listen to this part. Death is a resting period during which it recuperates, reassembles its resources, adjusts, adjusts its course, and returns again to the earth to continue its journey. Over and over and over again. You've probably heard of the word karma. Karma is the sum of a person's actions. And so it's karma that will determine in what entity you are born into in your next life. So lots of good deeds done, good karma, better position in the next life. Not good deeds done. We were told we could walk anywhere we want and go anywhere. We walked into slums. We walked into a night. We walked into poorer areas. And they said, we'll be safe because for the most part, these people will treat you well because it's part of the karma. So that was kind of a good thing to do. And eventually, they want to be released from the rebirth cycle, and that's when they would reach what they call moksha. So moksha is a state of enlightenment that can only be achieved through a series of good deeds from one life to the next. Once moksha is reached, there's no more suffering, and the ultimate self-realization comes into focus during that lifetime. From there, the rebirth cycle is broken, and the final step is heaven. Sounds kind of complicated, doesn't it? So I would have conversations with with people of the Hindu faith, and there were many. This is a picture of me and Chris, the guy on the right, is one of my students, and four young men. And we're literally walking on the streets where there's a food, a little food outside food court, mall, what do you call it, street booth things, street food. And we would just see these four guys and walk up and start a conversation. We would just introduce ourselves. They would usually ask, hey, where are you from? And we would begin to talk to them. If they spoke English. If they didn't speak English, we'd just simply move on and figure God had somebody else for them. We were rock stars there honestly. Everywhere we went when I'm down at the Gateway to India, people would come up to us. I met this one man, he had to be 75, didn't know a word of English, but one word. And he comes up to me and he's like this. Selfie? Click. <laughs> Everywhere we went, crowds. We have pictures of two or three of us with entire families of 25 people. And so we would start these conversations and typically we would introduce ourselves. And start by asking what they knew about Jesus. What do you know about Jesus? Now, I've heard these stories where people said yes, and these people had never heard of Jesus. I've heard those stories, but now I've heard it. I heard it twice. From the mouths of people that when we began to tell the story of Jesus, they would look at me and they go, I've never heard of the Jesus you speak of. (sighs) Heard it myself. Crazy. And then these conversations would go on. And these young men, particularly, they knew about Christmas and Easter, but that was it. So, Eventually, when I was speaking with people, I would ask them about the certainty of achieving moksha. Remember our point here, uh, we're back to the service here for a minute, is that heaven is assured. So I would ask them, what's the certainty of, 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 of achieving this moksha? And how will they, or do they know that when this life ends, moksha can be reached and heaven is assured, that the cycle of rebirth would be broken? Not one person could answer that question. They had no idea. They had no way of knowing, no certainty, no assurance whatsoever that they could ever achieve moksha. And my heart was broken. And I saw the futility of these beautiful people, these followers of their religion, who constantly have to seek out more good to do without any hope of the cycle of rebirth ending. And in India, that's a lot of people. We went to the beach on a Sunday. Check this out. You won't even be able to see And they don't really go in the water, and very few even have shorts on. But that's Sunday at the beach. There's a lot of people that believe in this particular uh, thing. But we, we here, for those that know Jesus, we know with certainty. Scripture tells us if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We are assured of that. We know that. And then a third reason, Jesus' death, Resurrection and ascension is the most important of all things to talk about in terms of faith is that the enemy is defeated. The enemy is defeated. 1 Corinthians 15, 25, and 26. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. When Jesus rose from the dead... He broke Satan's power over the fallen humanity that began in the garden. And my supporting it, evidence is just straight out of Scripture. Straight out of Scripture. Check these two out. Hebrews 2.14. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. And then 1 Peter 3.22. Now Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honor next to God. And all the angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. I love the way there's this, this uh, kind of paraphrased version, the message. I like the way they said it. It says this: Jesus has the last word on everything and everyone, from angels to armies, he's standing right alongside God, and what he says goes. Didn't that sound like your mom just said that? What I say goes. Like, that's Jesus. What he says goes. One more thing I want to mention, though, um, from this key passage in 1 Corinthians 15 about the enemy being defeated is that our sins are forgiven. Sins are forgiven. This is um, 1 Corinthians 15 and 57. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't become perfect because of Jesus' death, just forgiven. I still struggle with my sin nature at times, to be sure. But I know that Satan cannot hold those shortcomings over me. He can't bind me or keep me in guilt because I am forgiven. Satan has no power over me or you when you reside in Christ. Amen? And the fourth and the final reason that Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension is the most important of all things to talk about in terms of faith is that the church is empowered. This is the last verse of 1 Corinthians 15. It's 58. The church empowered. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Jesus' last words on the cross were, It is finished. It is finished. When Jesus died, one of the things that was finished was his earthly work. He would no longer be here in bodily form to share the good news of his life or the implications and the the excitement of what his death and his resurrection, his ascension could mean for all of us. He could no longer be here to do that. So now it's our turn, church. It's our turn. We are the hands and the feet and the mouth of Jesus here on this earth. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, specifically in chapter 10, He's talking about faith, he's talking about how to get right with God, how to be certain you're saved, but I believe that his challenge from this chapter, of it, it extends to the believers today, to me and to you. So listen to Romans 10, thir- 10, 13 to 15, and listen, I'm going to read it all, one verse will come up at the end, but listen to what the church's duty is. Make sure I got the one. right one. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him unless they've they've never heard of him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet of the messengers that bring good news. How beautiful are your feet? Are they beautiful? Are your feet messengers for the good news of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection? Can we do what Paul and Jesus ask us to do? To go and share that message? It's so easy for me to throw up some slides about going to a foreign country And just wandering around cold turkey, starting a conversation about Jesus. But for me here, in my food courts at our malls, in the parks, walking along the streets, it's not so easy. It's not so easy for me and probably for you. But that is the call and that is the challenge for all of us to be the church. To be Jesus' hands and feet now that he's not physically here. Can we work, as scripture said, enthusiastically for the Lord each day? Now the last point, the church empowered. It's also a teaser for a message that's going to come in a couple weeks. I know the outline. Jesus has not left us alone in this work we need to do here on earth. So be ready for that message to come. Before I was a believer... I started attending meetings with this organization I know many of you are familiar with. It's called Young Life. They would gather teens from local secular high schools. They would get together at someone's house where they would play some silly games. They'd sing a few songs. And then they'd have this short five-minute message about Jesus' work and about Jesus' life. I hold in my hand the Brown Book. The Brown Book. This book was used for decades and decades. I don't have any idea what they use now. Decades. In young life, and it's all the songs that they would sing in their meetings. And it's kind of an interesting thing because many of the songs were not religious. So we would sing, Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head, Sitting on the Dock of the Bay, and Who Can Forget, One Tin Soldier Rides Away. (laughs) Thank you. I love there's some people my age that would know that. But they also did more spiritual songs in this book. And I remember a few they did often. And as I was thinking about this, I'm like, wow, this is really interesting. They did this one. Uh, The chorus simply goes, he's alive. He's alive. And then there's a little verse that's after that. And then there was the all-time Young Life classic. It's on page 25. Had that memorized since the time I was 16 years old. I am the resurrection. It says this: I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live a new life. And we would sing those week after week. Thanks. I like to sing. We would sing those week after week after week. Here's the thing: I was really new really new to this whole Christian faith thing. I had nothing figured out, and I was exploring. So I would sing all the contemporary songs in the Brown Book by John Denver, B.J. Thomas, and Otis Redding. But then I would shout out, He's alive! And I would sing with gusto like I believed that Jesus was the resurrection and the life, and yet I had no relationship with Jesus. But I would shout and sing those words, and I realized, I realized the strategy of why the Young Life leaders would choose those songs to sing often, because Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven are the most important things to talk or sing about in terms of our faith. And so Young Life, through their short messages and their music, they were teaching me that before I'd even accepted Christ into my heart. In the beginning of my message, I mentioned this movie, Risen, from 2016. By show of hands, how many have seen that movie? Okay, numbers of you, great. It follows the epic biblical story of the resurrection as told through the eyes of a non-believer. Clavius, a powerful Roman military tribune, and his aide, Lucius, their task was solving the mystery of what happened to Yeshua, what happened to Jesus in the weeks following the crucifixion. And this is in order to disprove the rumors of a risen Messiah, and prevent an uprising in Jerusalem. Now, I won't give the ending to this movie away. I'll let you check that one out. But our last reference to 1 Corinthians Scripture might. This is our key verse. 1 Corinthians 15, 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. If Christ had not been raised, and what I'm doing right now, pointless. What you're going to do when you leave here and as you go throughout the week, doesn't really matter. If we do not grab onto and believe with all our heart that Jesus just did not die, he did not remain in a cave, he did not remain in a tomb, but he was risen up from the dead. His new life gives us new life. This is the most important of all things to talk about in terms of our faith. So through Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, our faith is verified. Heaven is assured. The enemy is defeated. And the church is empowered. Do you believe that? Do you believe with all your heart that his death, resurrection, and ascension is the most important of all things to talk about or to believe in your faith? My challenge is a simple one this week. It's to take 1 Corinthians and read it. Read it again and again and again. This week, get your Bible out. Mark it. Put a note in your phone. Do what you need to do, but be willing to read that verse again slowly. And I pray that God would use this reading, this meditation, this contemplation time, this experience of just sitting in this chapter to truly change you so you might live like you believe it. May your words, actions, and lifestyle reflect a deep belief that Jesus rose from the dead so that you can live for him now on earth and forever in eternity. Let's pray. God, I know I need to believe this. I mean, in my head, I believe it. I need to believe it deeper in my heart, God. So deep that I don't take a breath without recognizing who you are and what your power is. Lord, I pray that for each one. I've had three weeks or more to sit with this message, to sit in 1 Corinthians 15, to read it, to meditate, to pray. May each one of us do that this week. As we look to live for you each day in all that we do, may we live like we believe that you rose from the dead and your life gives us life.